I don't know what your I don't know what your background is, whether you grew up in the church or not. But I grew up in um, I grew up very much in the church. My dad is ordained in the Church of England, and when I was a, a wee lad, he was he was running a church um, in Yorkshire, in Halifax. So he's a Yorkshireman. My granddad's a Yorkshireman. Um, I spent the first half of, of my childhood in Yorkshire, and um, there was one of the things I love about Yorkshire people is is they're just direct, blunt, to the point, right? And and I just have got wonderful memories of the people that were in my church family as I was growing up, Agnes and Mavis and Jim and John, these sort of really solid people um, who were going for it with the Lord. And my, my dad would have been, I think, classed as what was known in the 90s as a trendy vicar. So he used to have a leather jacket at a time where that was like really out there. And um, we, we had in our church a praise band um, again, back in the day when this was a bit more edgy. Um, and I still remember um, some of the songs that we used to sing from the, the sort of like, the, again, the current songs in those days. And there was this one song that I am going to attempt to sing a little bit of it to you. I cannot sing, as you're about to find out. But please join in, the elderly people in the congregation who remember this song. Uh, it goes like this. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There'll be shouts of joy. And all the trees of the field will clap, will clap their hands. And the trees of... No, we'll stop there, right? The trees of the field will clap their hands. It goes on like that. And uh, um, I remember it because it's just... Uh, what we used to do in those days is in, now, if, if you want to like take the worship up a gear, right? Somebody around here has got a Mac usually, and they press a button on a Mac, and like some track drops, and the whole thing goes up a level. In the 90s, this music technology had not yet been created. And so what they did is they were like, okay, if we're going to take it up a level, what we'll do is we'll sing exactly the same thing, but this time we'll sing it faster. And so they would go, Okay, they, they, they would start, how does it go? You shall go, I'm not going to sing the whole thing. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And then they would go faster and faster. And in my church, when we really wanted to go crazy, we would all process around the sort of like the pews in the church. And so I, I can remember with Jim and John and Agnes and Mavis just processing, singing, we shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And then um, there was this one time where they decided for some reason, I was just a child, I had no involvement, but they decided that they were going to take worship to the streets. And so they hired um, a lorry and put our praise band on the back of this open top lorry with like speakers and stuff. And I can still remember us walking through this council estate where the church was, all singing along behind. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience or if you can remember it when you were sort of like young and you got seen by your mates from school with your parents, maybe in a shopping center or something. And even that was humiliating. Yes, I have parents and they exist, was the feeling that many of us had. Well, I was there behind a lorry singing with my mum, we shall go out with joy, you know, like this, and just absolutely dying inside. Like, just, it scarred me as a child. Um, and I felt like an idiot. And I think, to be honest, we probably did look a little ridiculous even so, looking back all these years later, I do think that we were onto something when we used to sing that. And what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about joy and what it is to, to be joyful. Um, 
the fruit of the Spirit, which is listed for us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. There's nine sort of flavors, as it were, to the one fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the, the second of the nine is joy. Love, joy. To be, to be a follower of Jesus, I, I don't think I quite get, got it initially, but it is to be on a journey of, yes, becoming more loving in the way that he is, but also becoming more joyful in the way that he is too. And I really hesitated to give this talk today because um, joy just seems like a weird thing to talk about right now. Like, you know, with everything that's happening, you look at um, the fact that, you know, even in just in the last week, I've had so many messages from people who have got COVID. And then, um, you know, Europe is looking pretty unstable. And you look at what's happening in our country with the cost of food and the cost of fuel and the cost of heating and everyone, you know, feeling the squeeze of that. And then mental health and everything that's happening there and, and you know, the emotional effects of the last couple of years. And we could go on. So it feels like to give a talk on joy almost to me feels like, wait a second, the only way we could talk about joy is if we were out of touch with reality. That's what my initial hesitation was. And then I went back to the scripture and actually went back to, to understand what does the Bible mean when it speaks of joy? And what it doesn't mean, first of all, is it does not mean pretending everything is okay when it isn't. That's not what it means. That we would just talk positively to each other and try and convince ourselves and everybody else that everything's fine. Put a plastic smile on and, you know, all the problems go away. In the scripture, in the Bible, there is a lot of crying. There's a lot of screaming, a lot of moaning, a lot of lamenting, a lot of, a lot of crying out, kind of like doubts and questions to God. This isn't a book that suggests to follow God means just pretending it's all fine when it's not. Um, nor is joy in the scripture about escaping from the world, disengaging. Maybe if we distance ourselves enough from the suffering and we don't watch it on the news, then we'll be able to be happy, we'll be able to be joyful. But we don't follow a God like that. We follow a God who did the opposite of that. He came from heaven to earth, became one of us. Jesus was born in poverty. He grew up poor. He, he knew firsthand what it was to experience loss. He was personally rejected. Ultimately, he was crucified. Um, he's not somebody who ran from suffering, but somebody who is willing to endure suffering. And in fact, in Isaiah 53, verse 3, Jesus is described with these words, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. So it's not to escape from the suffering of the world. And, and Paul, part of his journey, if you've ever read it in the New Testament, is his life was full of suffering. I mean, he, you know, he was, he was, beaten up, he was stoned, he was uh, shipwrecked three times, can you believe? Or, you know, like, the third time, he must have been like, you're kidding me, not a third time, but he was shipwrecked three times. At one point, we're told he spent a whole day and a night in the sea, just hoping to find land, clinging to a bit of wood, you can assume. So his life was tough, and, and it just went on and on and on. But at one point, he describes himself with these words. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, I am sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And what joy in the scripture is, is it's, it's recognizing where we're at, where the world is at, being honest about that. And it's more than just recognizing it, it's engaging with it and yet being always rejoicing. And um, I don't know about you, but 
if I were to hear that description of myself, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, right now, I don't need a lot of help with the sorrowful part of that sentence. I'm pretty good at that. It's the always rejoicing bit that I'm finding a bit more of a challenge. And the, the, the truth is, some of the most joyful Christians that I've ever met, and you, you may have had a similar experience, have been people who have nothing. If you've ever been to visit Christians in, in countries where there's just horrendous levels of poverty, South Africa, Brazil, in the flavelas there, you meet people who, they have nothing in comparison to the lives we lead, and yet full of joy. Mother Teresa, she, you, know, you can't get a better example of somebody who is so close to suffering, so engaged with the pain in our world, and yet, you know, stories about her say, when she walked in, it was like joy came into the room, like someone has switched the light on. And so it's possible to be sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. I remember a book that I came across when I was a student. Um, I'll tell you what I remember. I can't remember the title of the book, and I can't remember the contents of the book. But I still remember, all these years later, the dedication. You know how they have a little dedication at the front? This guy wrote a dedication to his daughters, and it said, to Sue and Anne, whose joy in life mocks the darkness. And it, what joy is, is it's a defiant nevertheless. Nevertheless, and yet rejoicing. I will always praise you. And Paul wrote from a prison cell, to a persecuted church, the words of Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, where he said, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Um, and when it comes to joy, if we understand it as that, not disengaging from sorrow, but also rejoicing in the midst of challenge and trial, uh, there, are, there are huge benefits to doing it. And to double, sort of like, almost like I'm going to double down on joy. In the midst of everything that's happening right now, I'm going to choose to double down on it. Massive benefits. One of them is joy gives us strength. It really does. And there's a, there's a little verse that, that's hidden in Nehemiah, where Nehemiah, who's a leader at the, of a people, the people of Israel at that point, who've just had just an awful time of it through exile and through war, um, he says to them at one point in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, go and have a party, basically. Go and rejoice. Go and, go and sort of enjoy some good food and some nice drinks. He says, don't grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy gives us strength. Anyone here ever tried to learn an instrument? You know how many of us stuck at it? I learned the flute in primary school for one year. I will not give you a demonstration. And uh, I quit. Why? Because there's no joy. And it was the flute. But there was no joy in it, right? And it was like, if you enjoy it, you keep going. If you enjoy it, it takes you back again. Going to the gym or, or, or like learning any discipline is, is easy when it becomes joyful. And there's something about joy that keeps us going. There's something about it that gives us perspective. Like for me, if I look back at some of the highlights from the last couple of years, certainly from the services we've had together, the highlights are almost always where something goes wrong. And, you know, we all have a laugh. Like, I don't know if you remember the first live stream we ever did, if you watched that, but Ruth did a reading and we put her on upside down. Only at Soul Survivor Watford could we manage that. Um, you know, Mike lighting his candle, if you're part of the church, you know. That needs no explanation, right? It was one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me in my life. And I still remember the day where I was sitting there, Mike was trying to light the candle, and he couldn't. And for some reason, it just tickled me. And I just, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. Now, after that... Absolutely nothing had changed. We were still in lockdown. It was still COVID. It was still awful. And yet I felt a lot better about the world. 
Have you ever had that experience where you've just like, life is tough and then someone does something and it just gets you and you roar with laughter from the belly and then at the end of it, nothing's changed and yet everything has. There's something about joy that strengthens us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And um, it kind of reminds me of our situation. I think it can be described like a, like a dry landscape. You know, if you've ever seen one of those on a, on a picture or a documentary, it's like on the surface it's dry and it's barren. Um, but, but beneath the surface, if you go down deep enough, there is like a reservoir of water that's in the bedrock. And so if they want to dig a well, what they do is they just dig down deep enough to the point where they can tap into that reservoir. And then there's all the potential for life to come in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the desert. Well, it's a little like that. Um, imagine, it's like, it, it, I imagine us being in Jesus and there's a mystery to that, but we are united to Jesus Christ as we follow him. It's almost like we have in him, through his spirit in our, in our inner beings, all that water buried down deep inside, the potential for the fruit of the spirit to burst into life through us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's all there because we are in him. And part of learning to journey as we follow him is, is at times like this where it feels arid on the surface and it feels dry and oh my word, not another day. And what you're telling me, there's a storm that hasn't been this strong for 30 years and like whatever else gets thrown at us. It's learning in times like this to, as it were, dig deep down, tap into the well of joy that we have because of who we know. And just for the rest of the talk, I wanna give... I want to try and be practical and give five ways, you know, and I'm just going to say some of them a lot quicker than others. Um, you know, maybe not all of them will be helpful, just maybe take one that might be, that we can, as it were, dig deep, tap into that well of joy that will help us uh, access, as it were, the joy that lives inside of us because of who lives inside of us. So here's the first way we can dig down deep and get into the, the, the waterbed at the bottom. Way number one we can tap into joy is to see God as he really is. See him as he really is. So often we can imagine him to be cross or grumpy or angry or distant. And so often Christianity can become for us, can't it? Just a whole load of stuff to do. I've got to pray more, give more, serve more, do more, tell more people. And it's like, actually, we forget it's all about who we know. It's about who we've received and what he's like. And we forget that God is the most joyful being in the universe. And I mean, there's so many places we could go to, to show that. One of my favorites, though, is always when you look at how God approaches his work and the way that he does it. You know, you see some of his work going on in Genesis chapter one where he makes the, you know, the heavens and the earth. Can you imagine if Genesis chapter one read a little like how we approach our usual working week? You know, it was in the beginning, God's alarm went off and he hit snooze. And he rolled over. And then eventually he was like, oh my word, it's the first ever Monday. I've got to get up. I've got to go to work. And he gets up and he's like, what have I got to do today? I've got to make some light. Oh, I could make stars and, you know, like fiery comets and kind of like rainbows and stuff. But I can't be bothered. I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to get through the day. So I'm just going to make strip lights that you put in offices that nobody likes. And at the end of the day, God looked at what he'd made and said, it'll have to do. <laughs> and then it was evening and morning the first day. And then it was the second day, Tuesday, and God woke up and he thought, oh my word, it's only Tuesday. 
the Sabbath is ages away. I'm just gonna have to keep going. What am I meant to make today? I'm meant to make land. I could make rainforests and kind of mountain ranges and beautiful rolling hills, but instead I'm just gonna make everything gray and flat and boring. And behold, the whole world looks like Milton Keynes. <laughs> and he looks at it and he says, it'll have to do, right? That's not, that's not the vibe, is it? That's like, you, you can see from the story, but you can also see from the world that what he does is he, he makes a world of wonder and of color and of light and of beauty and of mystery and of, you know, like ice cream and all this stuff that's more delicious than it needs to be, more surprising than it needs to be. It's, it's a glorious world. He lets his imagination run riot. He's a God of joy, a God of creativity. I remember reading this thing that was comparing God to children and it was saying how little kids have this capacity to just do the same thing again and again. You know, if you've ever read them Peppa Pig, you'll know that. Or if you've ever chuck them in the air and they just go again. You chuck them in the air, they go again. You chuck them in the air, they just go again. And for adults, it's so boring after a while, but for kids, they just seem to have this capacity. And this guy was like, in that sense, God is like a child. And it's like we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we are. He says, perhaps it's the case that, you know, it's not just that he can't think of another way of doing things, but he just says to the sun every morning again, do it again. To the moon every night, he says, do it again. Maybe it's the case that God makes so many daisies, not because he can't come up with another way of making a flower, but just because he just loves to say, do it again. I'll make it again. I'll do it again. And this guy says that it's like we sit alone in a starry chamber of silence while all around us the laughter of heaven is too loud for us to hear. He's a joyful being. And he comes as one of us. And how's it announced? I bring you good news of great joy because the God of joy has just been born. So see him as he is and part of his joy is in us. That's the astonishing, that for me is the bit that blows my mind. Part of his joy is in us. See him as he really is. Here's a second way to sort of dig down deep, tap into a well of joy that maybe we've neglected for some time, is to understand that now is the only time to celebrate. Now. And there's a psalm that the ESV translates, Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It does not say, yesterday was the day, wasn't it great? And it doesn't say, tomorrow will be the day, and we can look forward to that. What it says is, this day, with all of its faults and all of its challenges and all the fact that we already argued on our way to church and the weather was a lot worse than we thought it was gonna be today, this day, this is the day he's made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And one mistake um, that I've made many times, I think a few of us do, when it comes to joy is we think, okay, I'll rejoice when everything's good, right? When, the situ when this stuff has sorted itself out, then I will rejoice. The danger with that, or oh, that's very understandable, the danger is that the situation is never perfect for rejoicing. And so I don't know if you can remember when you were at school, but I remember being at school and thinking, this sucks. I cannot wait to leave school. And then I left school and I thought, oh my word, I had it so good when I was at school. How easy was that in comparison to this, right? I mean, I, I literally was off for, for a third of the year. And you leave and then you get a job or you go to university, you think, oh my word, I had it so good. 
We do the same thing with relationships. We might be single and we think, do you know what, I'm really, I just want a partner, I just want a boyfriend, I just want a girlfriend. And you get a boyfriend or you get a girlfriend and then you start to think, there was some things that I did actually quite like about being single. You know, now she's telling me what to wear, he's telling me what to watch. And you can end up thinking, maybe if we get married, maybe, maybe that will stop it, right? And you get married and it doesn't stop it. It carries on. But now the difference is you've signed a legal contract <laughs> till death. And so you can end up thinking, oh, okay, well, people would have kids, you know, that's the next step, isn't it? You can think, oh, we'll have some kids. And so let's say you manage to have some kids. And then you really know. You're like, oh, my word, we had it. So we had so much time before. Now I'm absolutely exhausted. I'm up at 2 a.m. changing nappies and crying myself to sleep. And you can think, maybe it'll be easy when they grow up a bit. When they become teenagers, they become independent. Then they grow up and they become teenagers. And then you realize how lucky you used to have it. You used to be up at 2 a.m. changing nappies. Now you're up at 2 a.m. thinking, where are they? They were meant to be home two hours ago. And you think, hmm, maybe it will be easier if they get older. Maybe if we send them off to university. And you do. You send them off to university. And for a little while, it is a little easier. And they start ringing you again and talking to you. And that's nice. But then you realize after a little bit that the only real reason they're ringing is to ask you for money because they've spent it. And you think, oh, man, maybe it would be easier when they graduate and they get a job and they can pay their own way. And they graduate and they get a job. And they can't afford to find a house, you know? They can't afford even to rent a house. So they're back with you. And you end up thinking, this is never, ever going to end. But one day it does. And they move out. And then the two of you come downstairs and you look at each other and you say, oh, it's just the two of us. Do you remember when the house was full? Do you remember when it was vibrant and full of life? It just feels empty now, doesn't it? It just feels sad. Just sad and empty. And then you die. <laughs> and if you're not careful, that is your life. And we say to ourselves, you know what? When the conditions are right, then I will rejoice. Do you know, if, we, if we do that, the honest truth is we will miss it completely. This is the day that he's made. It's the only day we can rejoice in. It's the only day we can be glad in. And the reality is, suffering in this world before we see him face to face, it is inevitable. It's inevitable. But celebration, that is a choice. Celebration is something we have to choose. It's a decision we have to make. One of my favorite films, um, some of you would have seen it, it's called About Time. Um, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, basically, it's about this guy that when he's about 21 or something, his dad sits him down and says, hey, there's this kind of like a power that we have as the men in our family that we can travel back in time. But it's not just that we can travel back to any point in time. We can only travel back to a sort of a point in our own lives. And so um, the, the, most, of the, most of the story is about him sort of working out how do I use this power. And of course, it's a romantic comedy, so he uses it to get the girl. But he's also trying to work out how do I, how do I be happy? And one day his dad sits him down and says, you want to know the secret to, to being happy? It's this. Don't use the power to try and get money. Don't use it to get fame. Here's what you need to do if you want to be happy, right? He says, just live a normal day. Then what you do is you go back in time to the beginning of the very same day. And you live the same day all over again. But this time, when you do it, you appreciate and you notice all the things you missed the first time around 
because you were too stressed out. And so he does it. So it shows him having this day where he's, you know, he's rushing into work through the train station and he gets to work and he's a lawyer and he, he manages to win his case and he's sort of like, yeah, you know, and then he sort of goes and grabs a sandwich quickly and rushes to the next thing and eventually he collapses into the train at the end of the day on the tube and this guy's playing music really loudly and he sort of slumps in the corner and goes home. And then um, he gets to bed and he decides he's going to give his dad's advice a shot. So he goes back in time to the start of the first day. And at this point in the film, they start playing some really nice music in the background, so it already feels like a better day. And you see him moving through the train station, but this time, instead of rushing through, he's looking around at the architecture and everything. He's appreciating it, enjoying it. Then he gets to, to the courtroom, and he wins his case. And this time, like, he absolutely punches the air. He gives the guy a massive hug. He rushes into the shop to buy a sandwich, and they've changed the camera angle. So this time, you see the face of the girl who sells him the sandwich. And they, there's a moment of sort of human contact when they make eye contact, and they smile at each other as he buys the sandwich. And then he sits on his tube on the way home next to the guy with loud music, and he starts playing air guitar along to the guy's music. And he realizes that really all he needed to do to enjoy the day was see the things he missed the first time around. And as it gets to the end of the film, it builds to this climax where he says, right at the end, um, he says, I've gone a step further than dad. He says, the truth is, now I don't travel back at all, not even for the day. Instead, what I try to do is live each day as if I've deliberately come back to this one day to enjoy it as if it were the full final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. I remember watching this as a young new parent. Josiah was just a couple of months old and I was absolutely knackered. And think that's a good approach to life. And so that's what I used to say to him when I would give him the occasional feed through a bottle at night. I would sort of sit him on my knee after I'd given him a feed. I'd look at him and I'd, I literally would say aloud to him, Josiah, I've decided to come to live as if I've come back to this one day deliberately to enjoy it as if it were the full final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. And he would just vomit on me or <laughs> I would try and be really happy as I cleaned it up. Um, but it's, it, it, this is the day he's made. If you're ever going to rejoice, it has to be now. So here's the third tip for tapping into that well of joy. Um, I'm going to go a bit quicker with these ones. Number three, get over our selfies. We've got to get over our selfies. We are the selfie generation. And I am, if I, I have many weaknesses, but I can tell you right top of the list is I am self-absorbed. I can be. And we walk around, the main thing we take photos of is our own face. And um, what that does is when we become so totally self-absorbed, it just exacerbates what we were talking about a moment ago, which is there's all these opportunities for joy around us, but we're so wrapped up in ourselves and our issues, we don't take any of them and enjoy them. I remember uh, reading this book about this guy who was talking about his little girl, and in their house, they had like party days that they would call the Didar days. And um, he said there was this one time, it was just a normal day, but she got out of the bath and uh, she was running around and around in circles, and he was trying to get her dried so he could dress her and put her to bed. And as she ran around and around, he, she was going, it's a D-dar day, it's a D-dar day, it's a D-dar day. And he was getting a bit frustrated, and he just said, Mallory, come on, you know, faster. And she misinterpreted what he said, and she just ran faster and went, it's a D-dar day, it's a D-dar day, it's a D-dar day. He said, no, no, that's not what I mean, we've got to finish now. And she just looked at him and said, why? And he had nothing. He didn't need to be anywhere. He had nowhere to go. It wasn't that late. 
but he just wanted to get on with it, you know, like so many of us do. He just wanted to get on to whatever the next thing was. And he said, looking back at it, Mallory was different because for her, all day was this, this, this pregnant, as it were, with opportunities for joy and for celebration. And he just was rushing through, missing every single one. And Jesus tells us the way to find life is to lose it. It's not to focus on ourselves all the time. It's to focus on others. It's to give ourselves away. The way to self-fulfillment is self-sacrifice. So looking away from ourselves and looking to others. Here's a fourth one, really briefly. Be practical about it. Be practical. When it comes to celebrating and rejoicing, be practical. The scripture's full of instructions God gave to the people of Israel about how they were to celebrate. And one of the ones that Beth and I tried to practice and, and do try and practice is Sabbath where we have a day where we just enjoy. For us, it's Monday, because that's, that's my day off. And we, um, we, don't, we haven't done it great during the pandemic, because all the boundaries of everything have been blurred, and we need to try and get back to it. But what we do initially is we say to each other, right, we're just going to do stuff. It's not, it's not just a day off. It's a day of celebration. So let's just do stuff we really enjoy. And that means ruling out a few things we really do not enjoy. I, on the Sabbath, will not take the bins out. Uh, it doesn't matter how full they are. They ain't going anywhere. Beth has a list of things she's not going to do. What we do do is we're like, wait, let's work out our budget so that we can have a takeaway on a Monday night. And we, that's a sacrifice in some parts of our budget, but it means that we get to do this, and it's a celebration. Um, it's finding ways that involve the body. It's doing anything practical. It astonishes me that Jesus had three years to effectively save the whole world, and yet he spends his time at wedding receptions, making large quantities of wine, barbecuing for people on beaches, giving out picnics, having naps. Like, he, he, he rejoiced, right? He enjoyed the world that he'd created. So be practical about it. And then here's the fifth one. Remember how this is all going to end. Remember how this is all going to end. If it starts with remember who he is and see him for who he is, the God of joy and the God of glory, remember how he is going to bring everything to completion. One day, everything will be made new. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. And the concrete power of that should rest in our souls like ballast in a ship in the midst of a storm. It really should. And I've been thinking, I've got to meditate on this more for myself. You know, the practical difference this makes is massive. Think about it like, you know, I mean, just yesterday, Zachary, my two-year-old, um, he's got this weird thing about when I give him a banana, the banana can't be cut up. It has to be like a whole banana. And yesterday I gave him a banana and he just broke it in half. And then he started crying and screaming and blaming me for it and telling me to fix it, fix this two halves of banana back together. And I'm like... I cannot do that, right? I can mush it a bit and try and pretend, but it's not going to work. I can't fix your banana back together. And so I tried trickery, which was to look him in the eye and say, but Zachary, now you have two bananas. You know, you win, right? And you might say, perhaps that's redeeming the situation. Not really. That's just kind of wordplay. And when we think of God's redemption, we can think, oh, he'll bring good things out of bad. Really, you know, it might be that he teaches us things in it. And my word, does he teach us in suffering? But, but, but the wholeness and the redemption that he's going to bring is so much more profound than that. It's so much more glorious than that. He is going to make all things new. All things. That's our future. That's the future of the world. That's something to hold on to. Picture two people who are given jobs in the same factory, doing the same dull, mundane job, 10 hours a day, 
half an hour break for lunch. They just got screw little screws onto a toy. Goes down the conveyor belt. How mind-numbingly hard would that job be? Do you think they would enjoy it? Here's the difference between the two of them in our little scenario. One of them, they're told, you work for a whole year in this factory doing this. At the end of it, we'll give you £10,000. The other one is told, you work for a whole year in this factory. At the end of it, we'll give you £10 million. And they're sitting there doing the same job. The first one, I guarantee if we said to him, are you enjoying your job? Are you enjoying this? He'd be saying, no. But if we said to the second one, how are you finding it? He'd say, I love it. I whistle while I work. Why? Because he knows what's coming at the end. And that makes a difference for now. We know what's coming. For anyone who's in doubt, uh, let me finish by reading to you the description of what's coming. So in Revelation, John has this vision uh, of heaven. And he says, Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The way that it's described to us in Isaiah, Isaiah 55 verse 12, he says this, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. What is it to be a follower of Jesus? It is to be sorrowful, and there's a lot to be sorrowful about. And there's a way of doing that well. Maybe that's another talk. But it's to be sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. And how do we do it? Just to recap, the way we do it is we see him for who he is, we remember that now, today, this is the only day, the only time to rejoice. We get over ourselves. We're practical about it, find any excuse to celebrate and party. And finally, we live in the light of the future, of the fact that the great Didar day, to end all Didar days, is coming. And then, and then in the midst of now, what we will find is joy springs up. And just to finish, what we're going to do is we're all going to sing that song together, that song at the start. We're going to clap our hands. We're going to process around the church. I've got a lorry waiting outside with a band on the back. We're going to go for a walk. Just kidding.